A British agent has disappeared in Jamaica while investigating a mysterious island in the Caribbean. To find out what happened, MI6 has sent in their best agent, James Bond, Agent 007. In his first big screen adventure, Bond must uncover the mysteries of Crab Key and stop a criminal mastermind from disrupting the U.S. space program. The film that started a 25-film franchise that continues to this day, this is 1962's Dr. No. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, listeners, and welcome to episode 110 of the Filmgasm podcast. In memory of the recent passing of iconic film legend Sean Connery, we are going back to the beginning of his long and colorful career to the film that made him a superstar, the very first Bond film, Dr. No. The solid action flick that still mostly holds up opens the floodgates for us to discuss the Bond franchise and Connery's career as a whole. Very excited about this one. Uh, Sean Connery was a favorite of so many. That guy did, was one of the biggest stars in the world, had sex appeal up into his 80s. Like, this dude was a rock star. And Yeah, uh, yeah. No, for sure. He kind of transcends the, the generations, right? He, yeah. You have people like you and I in their 20s who still do the accent and, you know, do the whole bit. And there's, there's people in their 70s, 80s doing it. You know, uh, he really, you, you, you nailed it. He really has a lot of people he's a fan favorite for a lot of people of all different ages and what a career, man, you know, 90, 90 years, uh, he, he was here on earth and for him to, um, to, to die in the Bahamas seems just right for Mr. Connery. Uh, and, and on Halloween, you know, this guy was just a, a monster. Yeah. Straight up. He was one of the highest paid stars in the world at his height. He was, you know, picking his own scripts, getting to do whatever the hell he wanted. He was an Oscar winner, sexiest mm-hmm. man alive, I think, twice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. started, a, you know, one of the most epic franchises in, mo- in movie history. And, uh, yeah, up to the day he died, just completely, you know, wholly respected by the entire industry. He was knighted. Like, just every accolade you can fucking think of, this guy had it. Yeah. Yeah. He, for, from being knighted to being made fun of on Saturday Night Live. Like, yeah. and he was, and he's okay with it. You know, this guy, that's something we're going to talk about is his willingness to be in different kinds of movies and put himself out there, be wacky, but also be so damn serious sometimes. Uh, man, fascinating, fascinating guy to watch. And I'm, I'm so excited to keep watching movies, right? Cause there's so many more that I want to see. Uh, the guy, the guy has an incredible IMDb page. <laughs> yes, he does. Speaking of SNL, how bizarre is it that Sean Connery and Alex Trebek died within a week of each other? Yeah, I was going to bring that up, right? You know, Trebek, a guy who fucking, you know, ran this incredible show and taught people English through his, you know, through his show, right? Because, you know, when you have a bunch of people all over the world watching it, they're just going to catch on and it that's incredible to me. And it's almost, it can, you can be, you can look at it as sad or you can look at it as these two guys who live this full ass life and uh, are, are, you know, kind of up there together now. I'm just, I'm just picturing like when Alex Trebek made it to the afterlife, Sean Connery pops up around a corner and is just like, we meet again, Trebek. Yeah, exactly. So great. (laughs) Yeah. You know, let's, let's finally have a drink. You know, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, what we're talking about, uh, go to YouTube and look up SNL celebrity jeopardy and you will know 
it's maybe the funniest sketch they ever did yeah it's 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 up there it's one of one of my favorite snl bits for sure will ferrell handles it so so well (laughs) fantastic so there is no rewind this week uh but i would like to take this opportunity to make several announcements uh first up we have decided to remove the bonus episodes from the podcast feed we felt the bonus episodes were not reflective of our best work. We wanted another opportunity to discuss those films as full episodes in the future, both on Filmgasm and on Oscar Sunday. Yeah, um, straight up, straight up. That's, you know, I, that's us making a decision, looking back and thinking that we can do it better. So why not take it off and allow it to uh, breathe, breathe a proper life. Uh, you know, films like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we did a bonus on the lighthouse you know films that for sure we have a lot more to say about and uh we can fit them into a show so yeah yeah it's it just opens up more possibilities for us and the listeners yes indeed those films have been put back into the book of filmgasm for future use but if one of them was your favorite episode you still want to listen to them they are still available on youtube and on our website filmgasm.com so they're not gone forever they're just gone from the anchor feed and uh you know all our work is available somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it's it's still alive. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Second, uh, second update. And this is very exciting. I'd like to announce a new member of the Filmgasm team. Uh, her name is Julie Cervantes. She's the fifth member of the podcast production team. She'll be making her debut on the show the week of Thanksgiving later this month, and I'm very excited to have her with us. Hell yes! From what I, you know, uh, from what I can tell so far, we have gotten a. Wonderful new member on our team, very creative and artistic and willing to watch all kinds of new stuff. And that's what we're all about. So can't wait to properly bring her on. Um, It's going to be very soon and for a very, very good film. Yes, indeed. She wanted to draw from the book, which I fucking appreciate so much. And yeah, she went good. We already recorded that episode, went really well. It was fun. And I'm excited to have her with us. Yeah, we'll release that soon. You know, and when you told me what movie it was, I was like, oh, but who am I to uh, question the book? The book said, this is what y'all are doing. So, <laughs> but it is, it is, it is a very good one. All right. Killer. So on to the show, Dr. No. Prior to this show, um, how familiar were you with the Connery Bond films? Not very much. You know, I, I think longtime listeners know how you're a huge Bond fan and I'm, I'm somewhere, you know, I'm, I'm not, not a fan, <laughs> yeah. but I'm somewhere, I'm somewhere in the middle. I've seen uh, all the Craigs. I've seen the Brosnan ones. Uh, I've seen some of the Roger Moore, seen some Connery, you know, not all of them. And uh, I certainly would love to knock them all out. Right. That's, I usually enjoy it. Some of the stuff is outdated. You know, that, that shit comes with some of the 60s stuff and the 70s stuff. Uh, these Connery and Moore ones. There's some shit. I, yeah, it's like, whatever, you know, but man, some of the sequences in these, these Sean Connery ones, you know, in Goldfinger and Dr. No, uh, there's just some breathtaking type chase scenes and just wonderful, wonderful stuff from Connery. And this guy, we already talked about how good looking is six foot two, just beast of a man. And you're like, who is that? You know? And for Dr. No to, to be the film we chose, you know, that's because it started the whole bond thing. Right. And, you know, he became a superstar after that. He would have been 32 years old uh, when that movie came out in theaters. Just incredible. And I love that we picked it. You know, I think Goldfinger is a very, very strong film, but Dr. No is the one that started it all, right? 
Um, yeah. What about what about you? Where do you see? I know you, obviously you've seen them all. Where do you see the Connery ones? Like where do they rank exactly? Do you or do you have like a personal favorite? Um, the Connery Bond films, I think, are some of the best work the franchise ever made, mostly because they were, you know, just kind of figuring out their groove and they were trying yeah. all sorts of stuff. They were being fairly, uh, fairly uh, faithful to Ian Fleming's novels. But uh, I mean, they were, you know, not entirely. Shit got weird. But um, <laughs> I think Connery's probably my, if I had to pick a favorite Bond, I think it is him simply because like he didn't, I don't, in my opinion, he did not have a weak film. He didn't have a quantum like he, you know, all six of his movies are solid, solid watches. I mean, they're a little misogynistic and racist at times, but again, it was the 60s. I mean, this is James Bond. I mean, he's, you know, slapping women left and right when he doesn't get what he wants. We you get, I mean, I understand that it's it for the time. It's fucked think, up, but <laughs> I think in, I think in Thunderball at one point, he like slaps a girl's ass and like actually says like, go to the kitchen or something. I can't remember. No. <laughs> it was some, um, that's in Goldfinger. What he okay, does, okay. Uh, he's getting a massage, and um, yes, 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 yes. Felix Leiter walks up, and she's, and he says, her name is Dink, and he says, "Time to go, like man talk," and slaps her ass, and she walks away. It's, yeah. it's... <laughs> nice. Hard to excuse awesome. that one. <laughs> yeah, yo, know, shit like that, you know. Yeah, it's um, not the coolest guy. <laughs> no, no, and you know, Goldfinger also has a scene where he like is very clearly, you know, about to rape a woman. I mean, she's saying no, she's forcing, he's forcing himself on her. And then later on in the movie, she's in love with him and also not a lesbian anymore. (laughs) Well, yeah. But apart from that shit, you've got these iconic villains. You've got this, you know, the supporting cast, MQ, Moneypenny, like mainstays of the franchise, You've got gadgets, you've got car chases, you've got, you know, fight scenes, just epic for the the 60s and 70s. And then it just continued to this day. We're still, you know, we're waiting on the 25th film, No Time to Die. And uh, yeah, I don't think, you know, without the Connery era, without him at the helm, I don't think the franchise would have become as big as it did. He had this just on-screen charisma that was unrivaled. Well, yeah, and and the, I think what a huge thing, finding a guy who wasn't, who needed something like this to explode, he's able to do a film per year, right? So you, the Dr. No from Rush With Love, which is awesome, Goldfinger, you know, Thunderball, these movies are, you know, happening fast. You know, you only live twice. They're all in the 60s, right? You know, in this yeah. this short time. And it it forces people to really believe that this is Bond. And he he does it, you know, he really does it. Uh, I, I believe it. I believe it 100%. I haven't seen You Only Live Twice, uh, that's the Connery one I have not seen yet, but uh, from Russia with love, that one's, I would say underrated at this point. From Russia with love is considered one of the best of the franchise. Um, it was JFK's favorite book, which is pretty sweet. I, I, I agree with you. What, my, what I'm saying is like, it's not um, like, like when you go on Sean Connery's IMDb, it's not yeah. there, but I think it's, man, I think it might be the best movie overall of all those Connery ones. A lot of people think the same way. That movie has gotten a, a very, very good... Like, over time. Movies. Yeah, over time, it's gotten this reevaluation, and I agree with people. I, I just... But again, I guess because, you know, Goldfinger's just more popular uh, or, or when it came out. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Well, From Russia With Love was Connery's personal favorite. Uh, okay. 
he would later actually like after he retired, he would go back and voice Bond in an adaptation, a video game of uh, From Russia with Love, which is really cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I forgot about that. I know I have that game. I tried to play it recently. The gameplay is not too great, but hearing him play Bond again is is surreal. It's pretty badass. Yeah. And um, Goldfinger, that film being kind of the you know the poster boy of the Connery Bond era. I think there's a lot of different factors to it. The iconic image of the golden girl on the bed, the, you know, Shirley Bassey's epic theme. That was the first time where like the bond theme was, you know, the, there was an opening song and that, you know, started a whole trend that still continues. Yeah. Um, it was the first time we, I think bond was pretty ruthless in that one. It was almost like revenge uh, for that girl. And uh, the character of Oric Goldfinger is just like, such a smarmy bad guy and then you got odd job with the hat it's just there's so many iconic little things about goldfinger that just pile up yeah yeah because it has you know on on sean connery's imdb it's got untouchables the rock goldfinger and thunderball as those front four yeah and i've just i've always read and heard from movie critics that from rush with love is probably the best one overall and i i agree i wish it was there (laughs) from russia with love has like robert shaw is the bad guy so already that's just- well yeah that's you know yeah you know me and you know you know connor and i jaws he stole our hearts and for him to be in this setting is so fucking cool donald grant just taking you know uh brass knuckles to the chest and not flinching just being this cult he's like the anti-bond in that movie he's cultured he's refined but he's a specter agent he's that's such yeah. a good call such a good call <laughs> I, I can't wait to tackle each of these films individually on this show because I've got a lot to say about all 25 of these movies. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm super excited now we can properly start and the next one will be From Russia yeah. With Love. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do it in order. Why the fuck not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So cool. Thunderball, I think, is his weakest movie, but that's no fault of his. It's it's just not as you know big and boisterous as the other ones. It's got... Um, Adolfo Celli is the bad guy. He's Emilia Largo, number two in charge of Spectre. And they're stealing nuclear warheads for some reason. And it's Bond in the Bahamas and just kind of swimming and solving crimes. It's not, it's kind, it's not like, it's good, but it's not great. Thunderball. Yeah. And uh, You Only Live Twice is cool. We get our first appearance of Ernst Stavro Blofeld, played by Donald Pleasance. Uh, it's Bond in Japan. There is this, you know, it does get a little racist when they try to make him a Japanese person. But uh, other than that, it's pretty cool to see Bond in Japan. And then Diamonds Are Forever is the one where he came back after Lazenby fucked up on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And they, like, he demanded a lot of money and he donated, like, all of it to charity, which is pretty sweet. And um, that's Bond in Vegas with Blofeld returning for the third time, played by Charles Gray this time. My personal favorite Blofeld. But um, yeah, Bond in Vegas is cool. You got these two gay hitmen who are like the scariest villains in the whole franchise, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid. I love those guys. They're, they might be my favorite villains in the franchise. Hell yeah! Damn, is that's it, such a that's such a wild question. The diamond smuggling ring. There's a space laser. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> a lot of people space. hate that one. They like they think that's where Bond started to get goofy, and they're right. But I have a soft spot for Diamonds Are Forever. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you're uh, watching them over and over and you've seen them all, you, you, you're going to learn to have, find little things you love about them. 
Yeah, they all stand out in their own way. The only one I really don't like is Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I think Lazenby was miscast. I think the story's very dull. I think Telly Savalas was super miscast as Blofeld. And uh, yeah, that one's just weak. When I rewatch the franchise, I almost always skip that one. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I have, I, have, I have not seen that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Bond is one of my favorite film franchises, if you haven't figured that out already. And um, yeah, I love each film mostly for various reasons. Um, I don't think, what was, what was the first one you saw, Bond? First, well, first Bond I saw was Casino Royale. Right on. Like I, you know, it was, it was an organic experience where I had no idea, had no, you know, of course I knew he was a character, but I had no idea that there was you know, 20 of these guys, 20 of these suckers, you know, with various actors at the home, all these different, you know, like you said, iconic villains and always, always an iconic female um, character, uh, like on the poster and all that stuff, you know, but when I saw Casino Royale, I saw, I saw a great film. Right you on. Know? Yeah. That's a great uh, movie. I, I didn't see it in theaters. I was 11 when that came out. I remember watching on DVD, like at home, uh, probably got it at Blockbuster or something like that. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just, it was a really solid film. That's all I could say about it. And so I was like, oh, I'm excited for the next one unfortunately that one to me is this is just i'm not gonna even say there's things i like about it i don't like it i don't think it's it's not really even worth it's it's i, I don't like watching it i don't want to rewatch it it's just not for me but then it gets you know then it, it picks back up right and i enjoy the rest of the craig work and i'm really excited for no time to die but after that um i would say after the Craig ones had to be Thunderball had to be or gold had to be Thunderball or Goldfinger because then Dr. No and um, from Russia with love would have come after that. Cause I was like, Oh, I got to see what comes before this, but I'm just watching off of popularity. You know what I mean? Not, yeah. not knowing much of what's going on. Like uh, we did um, live and let die. That was the first time I had seen that, you know, the Roger Moore one. I, I haven't seen Moonraker, <laughs> you know, there's there's plenty of things I, I need to watch, but it, it must have been after the Craig ones. It must have been Thunderball or Goldfinger that I went back to. You know, yeah, cool man. That's interesting. I I um I started with a film that's pretty reviled in the Bond franchise, uh, Die Another Day. Oh yeah, the Brosnan ones, right? Those those were definitely on TV. Uh, yeah, like my you know, 12 to 15, right? <laughs> like yeah. on, they're on TNT all the time. Yeah. <laughs> my uncle got it for me for DVD on DVD for uh, my birthday. And I had never seen the bond movies. I'd heard about them. I knew he was a fan and I watched die another day. And I was like, this is really cool. Like people hate, people don't like this. I was like, you know, I invisible. I thought the invisible car was cool. I liked Brosnan. I thought Halle Berry was super hot. I was like, who is not enjoying this? <laughs> and then I you looked thought, into it. You thought Halle Berry was super hot. <laughs> Halle Berry is I knew. super hot. <laughs> I, I knew. I knew. But um, I thought she's, it was like she's stunning. Yeah. <laughs> I looked into it and I was like, "There's a bunch of these." And then for Christmas, uh, I got um, there were these collections they released for the 20th or like the 40th anniversary of Bond. It was the first 20 movies in four different collections. 
they weren't in order, which was amazing to me. I was like, why did you do that? But I got volume one and four for Christmas. And then my uncle got two and three. So I marathoned the Bond movies. And uh, yeah, I liked most of them. It took me a while to really like warm up to some of them, like For Your Eyes Only and The Spy Who Loved Me. I did not like them at first. It took a few years for me to appreciate those. But uh, yeah, here I am now. I know almost everything about all, well, 24 of them. I haven't seen No Time to Die yet. But 24 of them, yeah, I'm obsessed with this franchise. Yeah, I think the the Brosnan Brosnan ones are, you know, yeah, they're they're not looked at as these masterpieces or anything, but for sure for people our age, uh in their 20s and 30s, those would be the ones they probably seen the most just cuz they were on TV all the time and they're just in your conscious, that's when they came out. Yeah. But but for but for me just uh as I've gotten older, big bigger picture, Brosnan is just not bond for me i i like the little bit of grit that connery has i like the grit that craig has and brosnan i'm like yeah you're you're too pretty you don't doesn't make any sense i like i like the the gruffness to connery you know and brosnan just doesn't bring it doesn't bring it for me well there's this side of bond that i think roger moore and brosnan didn't capture which is yeah he's this handsome educated man but he's also a cold-blooded killer for the british government like that's the part that i think gets more attention on the with connery and craig and dalton is they are playing this conflicted character who you know loves women loves bollinger loves to you know explore the world but is constantly holding the world on his shoulders knowing that he's the last line of defense between england and the terrorists of the world and I think Connery pulled that off really well. That balance is essential to the character of James Bond. Yeah, that's yeah, such a good point, man. I love, I love your uh, passion for this franchise. I, I don't even know if I have a franchise. I, I love Lord of the Rings, but then you attach the Hobbit to that and it just kind of fucks with it. So I love, I love that you have this admiration for this entire, you find a way to love it. And that's really cool. Yeah, for sure. I can't wait when we get. To, uh, I can't wait till we get to the Dalton films because those films are highly underrated. I've, I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them. License to Kill is in my top ten. Like that I, movie. I've is, I've heard I've heard it's legit. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. It's Bond on a vengeance quest, like straight up. He lights a dude on fire. Like it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No. See. Yeah. That's that's the kind of Bond I, I like. I like a Bond that's got got that fuck you to them. So, I uh, yeah, I'm wicked excited that now it's it's open it's open it's fair play now bond is fair play for filmgasm we like doing <laughs> shit in order here you know and now we can do the bond franchise yes okay. back to dr no dr no was based on the 1958 novel of the same name by bond creator ian fleming chronologically dr no is fleming's sixth 007 adventure casino royale was the first followed by live and let die moonraker diamonds are forever from Marsha with love and then dr no so the films were not made in his order they were just picking titles and kind of messing with the plot to just make it fit for a movie eventually they did like moonraker the book has nothing to do with bond in space they just did that for the movie because they needed something to rival star wars isn't is it (laughs) that's exactly right that's exactly isn't um casino royale the actual first like book ever yeah, it's 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 Bond's first book. It's Ian Fleming's That's, first book. Okay, Bond. that is for sure. The, okay, okay. That's I thought I read that. Okay, I just make yep. sure. Began with that, and uh, they didn't make a movie out of that one because they made a, a parody movie in 1967 with Peter Sellers, Woody Allen, and David Niven, 
playing various versions of James Bond in this horribly misguided comedy that I've never seen because I know it's going to fucking suck. And, oh, that's uh, so sad. Yeah, it took them years to finally adapt Casino Royale, and when they did, it's one of the best Bond films they ever did. Um, the creation of the Bond franchise is really owed mostly to producers Harry Saltzman and Albert Cubby Broccoli. When they got the film rights to Dr. No, nobody really wanted to do it. Hollywood said no. They found the character of James Bond, quote, too British or too blatantly sexual. Hollywood was like, this guy's too British to be an American movie star, which is crazy. <laughs> Unbelievable. Hollywood, man, always just fucking shit up. They ended up uh, joining with the British production company United Artists and the rest is history. United Artists has produced almost all of the Bond franchise until uh, MGM got involved. Yeah. Dr. No was directed by Terrence Young, who hadn't really done anything that significant prior to the film. He was hired mostly because he was willing to play ball with the producers. He was an up-and-coming director who was like, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. Don't fire me. Uh, Young would go on to direct the Bond films from Russia with Love and Thunderball, as well as okay. the classic wait until dark okay and young died in 94 at age 79 from a heart attack god damn that that's uh that's that's interesting that uh, you said he, you know, he's an up-and-coming when this came around but it, it makes sense that he followed it up because all these films you, you feel like you're in good hands here I, I i didn't i wouldn't have thought that producers were in control of dr no i i think there's some pretty impressive sequences and some pretty kick-ass scenes in dr no and of course in the the movies that follow i agree with you but the yeah the Bond franchise has always been heavily producer controlled. Uh, after Albert Broccoli died, his daughter Barbara took over the reins of the franchise. She still runs it now. And uh, yeah, it's always been like the producers pick the director. They pick the, the actors. It's like the director has very little control over the Bond franchise. That's fine. If, um, if it works, <laughs> it's interesting because like up until um, Skyfall, really, Sam Mendes, like there aren't any really notable directors in the Bond franchise. It's all people who are willing to deal with the producers. Yeah, exactly. That's so fascinating that, that there hasn't been more big time British directors or whatever it may be like, hey, I want to do this. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of it's wild. I mean, that's honestly, hilarious. I, I can't name any off the top of my head. A guy Hamilton comes to mind, but that's only because I know he did Goldfinger. <laughs> Like nobody else really. I can't tell you who directed The Living Daylights or Goldeneye. Like none of that. Who knows? Oh, no, I I obviously have no idea. <laughs> yeah, kind of weird. <laughs> so to play James Bond, this was a you know heavily vetted process. The producers had big faith in this idea. And they, Saltzman and Broccoli, initially, their first choice was Cary Grant. Huh. And, uh, yeah. In 60s Cary Grant. <laughs> that's interesting yeah i mean he was already you know older he's pushing you know i think he's in his 50s or 60s around 1962 yeah let me see here yeah and the only Cary reason grant. he said no is because Cary grant was only willing to commit to one film and the producers wanted somebody who could carry a franchise well yeah he was 58 yeah man 58 james, year old james bond in the first movie this never would have worked Cary grant does not have that cold-blooded mentality that connery has Cary Grant, of course, uh, you know, charade, North by Northwest, To Catch a Thief, His Girl Friday. Uh, this is kind of blowing my mind. <laughs> Cary Grant's an amazing actor, but he never would have worked as Bond. Well, it, it, uh, 58 years old, I just, I have a hard time. So this would have been 
the year before charade 1962 charades 1963 i just do not i don't see it <laughs> you would later after the after the film came out cary grant did express like that this was one of the passing on bond was maybe the biggest mistake of his career he did say that <laughs> oh, yeah but but it's 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 so good for for us that connery was the guy they started with well i love like that these two guys, Saltman and Broccoli, they were pushing for a franchise. This was 1962. Franchises did not exist. This was not something that happened usually. Sequels were rare, very rare at the time. So they were very ahead of their time with this whole thing. Man, that's crazy, dude. <laughs> I, re- I really had no idea about that. And Cary Grant is a guy that we could, we could uh, shout out on Oscar Sunday one day. This guy's got a couple nominations and he got – an honorary award in 1970. So shit, that would have been huge. You know, uh, that would have really popped. Uh, it, the movie already made, you know, so much money off such a little budget, but I wonder how much higher the budget would have been if Kyrie Grant's in it. They definitely, you know, needed somebody who's going to bring in some, some money, some, you know, a seat filler and Kerry Grant was big. You know, it was a big name. Would have oh, been good yeah. And they wanted him. It was his, you know, he's the one who turned it down. Like, they were going to go ahead with this if Cary Grant said yes. Wow. Imagine what the, like, film, like, because Connery, you know, he set the mold for James Bond. He set the standard. Like, this is who James Bond is. If it had been Cary Grant, who are the actors who would have emulated him further on in the franchise? Yeah, it could have become this character that only uh, lasts, uh, an actor only lasts a couple films because he's always in his late 50s or 60s. Yeah. yeah ch- changes. Then maybe, you know, De Niro, please. <laughs> not not him specifically, but guys like that, you know, that age, like that'd be so, so bizarre, you know. Um, I'm glad it happened the way it did. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And the only way it happened that way is because this young Scottish upstart named Sean Connery showed up to the audition looking kind of scruffy and dis- disheveled. His clothes were all, you know, all over the place. He had a beard. And but his attitude impressed the producers and he won the role. Like they were, they liked this guy. They liked that. He brought kind of a rugged manliness to the role. They brought him to Savile Row. They got him a tailor. They got him a haircut and a shave and they turned him into James Bond and made him look the part. And after he looked the part, they were like, this is the guy. Okay. Yeah. So exactly what you just said, they essentially morphed this guy who has the attitude, has the stature, has the build has the attitude for bond. They just got to make the appearance right. And that's what they did. They, they created, they morphed their own character. <laughs> they did. They 100% made this guy from scratch. And Ian Fleming did not like Sean Connery for the role because traditionally in the novel bond is an, you know, he's an upper crust Londonite who had a, you know, an educated upbringing and he just is a very educated, you know, English man where Sean Connery comes from a working class Scottish upbringing. So he's kind of the exact opposite of book bond but after seeing the movie Ian Fleming was like you know what there's something to this <laughs> yeah that's so cool yeah fantastic uh Connery would play bond in six canonical films Dr. No from Russia with Love Goldfinger Thunderball You Only Live Twice and Diamonds Are Forever he would also play bond in one unofficial film 1983's Never Say Never Again an unofficial remake of Thunderball and Connery did this because he was never 100% satisfied with his performance in Thunderball. So he remade Thunderball himself without using any of the other Bond characters because he did not have the rights to them. He was able to call, he was able to use James Bond, but Blofeld is there for some reason. Like they were, all right. 
to tell that story, I have to tell this story. <laughs> Hell yes. The people who own the rights to James Bond and M and Moneypenny and, you know, Spectre and all that. Well, not Spectre, but everything else. There's them. A certain group, I don't know who, I think maybe the Fleming estate owned the film rights to specifically Spectre and Ernst Stavro Blofeld. That's why Spectre wasn't immediately front and center when Casino Royale came out, despite the constant, you know, alluding to this organization that is running the terrorism, they couldn't call it Spectre. That's why the whole quantum thing came up. And they finally worked out a deal in 2015 when Spectre came out. But prior to that, they were hands off for the longest time after Diamonds Are Forever. And wow. never said never again, Connery worked with them to use Spectre and Blofeld in that movie, but M and Moneypenny and Q could not be in there because they didn't own the rights to those characters. Ah, okay, okay, okay. It's a very complex situation. And that came out the same year as the Roger Moore Bond film Octopussy. And I think Octopussy beat it at the box office. Wow. I think. I'm not entirely sure about that. But it's just weird that there's this kind of fake Bond film walking around out there. <laughs> Incredible. Just, yeah, a little, little artifact out there. Yeah, I have not, I've never seen Never Say Never Again. It's like the only piece of Bond apart from that shitty Casino Royale movie that I haven't really, you know, looked into. Maybe it's time. <laughs> Fascinating, man. God, that's crazy. Well, you know, I, they're able to hold off and uh, still make a couple movies in between, so it was okay. You know who plays Blofeld in that movie? M- Max von Cito. <laughs> oh, there you go. Another rest in peace. Yeah, man. It's weird because... It's the same exact plot as Thunderball, but there's no Largo. There's no Domino. It's just the characters they were allowed to use. God damn. God damn. Wild. Uh, Connery would win an Oscar for his performance in 1987's The Untouchables. Was one of the most respected actors in Hollywood. He was knighted by Queen Elizabeth in 1999. Connery retired from acting in 2003, and he passed away in his sleep this past Halloween at the age of 90. And that's the way I want to go. 90 years old, a lived life in my sleep in the Bahamas. On Halloween. On Halloween. Goddamn. Mm. Um, Swiss model Ursula Andrus was cast as Honey Ryder, the first Bond girl. Andrus would later play Vesper Lind in the 1967 Bond parody film Casino Royale. (laughs) Fucking shit. She would also appear in the 1981 fantasy epic Clash of the Titans as Aphrodite, goddess of love. But other than that, she hasn't really done much over her career. She was a model who was discovered in, get this, a wet t-shirt picture that was sent to the producers. Fantastic. And they were like, she's hot. Let's, make, let's put her in a bikini the whole movie and have her follow James Bond around for the second half of the movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The first Bond girl does not exactly, you know, scream you know, women's lib. She's not exactly that progressive. She's kind of a, a window dressing. Yeah, very, very much. Um, tough, tough, right? You know, if you're a female who loves films and you're trying to have some relatability, you're not really going to find it here. And that kind of sucks because she very much just kind of goes with the flow and doesn't really, doesn't really have much ambition. And it's kind of, kind of frustrating when the, yeah, female. When the female character, like you said, just kind of follows him around. Fucking annoying. It took so long for there to be a Bond girl on equal footing with James Bond. I mean, part two from Russia with Love, Tatiana Romanova 
is a straight up groupie. Like she's like, oh my God, it's James Bond. I love everything you do. I'm going to follow you around forever because I love you. Like, yeah. And then, you know, Pussy Galore, the name alone yeah. tells you all you need to know. And then yes. Thunderball, it's Domino, who is in the is getting there in the right direction. You only live twice. It's a Japanese wife he is given. Um, <laughs> then Majesty's Secret Service uh, is about the first Bond girl who really started to have some substance. Tracy DiVincenzo is the daughter of a uh, mob lord that Bond falls in love with and actually marries before Blofeld fucks it all up. And then the diamonds are forever. He's dating a diamond smuggler who's kind of a bitch. So it's, um, it's you know, it's give and take over the course of the franchise. You know, it's one step forward, two steps back with the Bond girls. Just wait till you get to Moonraker and you meet Holly Goodhead. <laughs> uh, you know, this is, this is uh, where I would like to bring up Austin Powers you know, and how that trilogy obviously is making fun of and having all kinds of fun with the, the bond stuff and <laughs> fuck you, fuck me. And, you know, I want to, I want to hump a lot, you know, all that stuff, uh, you know, and I saw that stuff before I saw bond, you yeah. know? Um, so I was just like, this is really funny. I have no idea what's going on. And then now it's really, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. I'm in the same boat. I saw Austin Powers before I saw the Bond movies and I just noticed little things. Like I couldn't believe there's an actual character in a serious movie named Pussy Galore. Yeah, that sounds, that's just... Yeah. That sounds too obvious for like a Bond porn parody. <laughs> yeah, it's too on the nose. Yeah, straight up. Oh my God. <laughs> well... Well, yeah, the, the history of the Bond, uh, there actually is a, a really good documentary called um, Bond Girls Are Forever that's included in those Bond collections. And it's uh, Miriam D- uh, D- Diabo, who plays Kara Malovi in The Living Daylights, goes to various Bond girls throughout the franchise and talks to them about their experience as a Bond girl and like living, you know, after the movie. And it's very fascinating to see that. He talks to Ursula and I mean, she talks to Ursula Andress and Honor Blackman and Halle Berry and uh, Eva Green, I think maybe, or it might've been before Casino Royale, but it's a very, uh, very good documentary. I recommend checking that out. That's really cool. Yeah. Kind of get a, get a perspective that the movies weren't giving you. So, you know, (laughs) fascinating that, that is, that is gotta be an interesting thing to live with at the time, knowing what it means to be a Bond girl, what it is. And how, how it is kind of a tough conversation and always will be. Yeah. Even today, you know, when they're casting a Bond girl, they don't tend to look at, you know, acting talent or character development. They tend to go for models and window dressing and women who look hot on camera. It's like the one part of the film industry that is not budging when it comes to, you know, the Me Too movements. It's very strange. Extremely. I, mean, I, I, I do... Uh... I think uh, Eva Green, you, you, you mentioned her a, m- a moment ago. I think that's a really, really cool choice. And I thought she just kicked ass. Like, fuck, she was amazing in that movie. True. But then two movies later, you've got, I don't even remember her name, the girl that Bond, like, you know, goes into the shower on the boat to have sex with. And then she gets shot on Silva's Island without any development whatsoever. Yeah. What is her name? Uh, let's see. I'm looking right now. Well, you know, I do love me some Naomi Harris. She's a wonderful actress. Um, See, I don't count her as a Bond girl. I count she's her. not. She's not. She's not. He's a Bond ally. 
I have yes. categories. <laughs> She's like, you're right. You're right. I just love her. Uh, she's awesome. Ber- Berenice Marlowe. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Like, uh, for example, um, um, the world is not enough. 1999 electric King. She's the bond girl for most of the movie until it's revealed. She's the villain. Then I, then, and she's not the bond girl anymore. Denise Richards fucking Christmas Jones is the bond girl. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I might not, you know, I'm probably alone in this camp, but I, I have different, you know, rankings and considerations for who's considered what. Oh no. I think that makes total sense. That's, that's a hundred percent right. Cause you can't, each film has one bond girl. Mm, that's not necessarily true. There are some with until the, two or three. Until the plot tells you otherwise, till it's the villain. <laughs> That's true. Like, for example, the License to Kill has two. There you um, go. Yeah. Is there one that's is there one more prominent than the other? Um, Pam Bouvier is the CIA agent who's tasked with helping Bond out. So I would I would count her as the Bond girl, but Lupe Lamora is the girl trying to escape. Ah, yes. Uh, she might be from Moonraker. I might be getting my girls crossed here. But uh yeah. There's a lot. There's over twenty five, so yes, indeed. <laughs> Um, let's talk villains. Uh, Joseph Wiseman was cast as Dr. Julius No, the first Bond villain in our introduction into the covert world of Spectre. Uh, Wiseman also appeared in such films as Viva Zapata, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, and Lawman. Wiseman uh, died in 2009 at age 91 from an undisclosed illness, and it has taken my entire life and this one last recent viewing to realize he is not an Asian actor. Joseph Wiseman is a Canadian wearing yellow face. <laughs> so, yeah, found that out. <laughs> kind of put a little oh, yeah. black mark on this movie. Oh, oh, yeah. I Because uh, I, I was like, who is playing him? You know, when I was rewatching it, I was on my phone. I was in IMDb and I was like, I am so confused right now. <laughs> and then I, then, I, then, I, then I looked a little closer at the screen and I was like, oh, holy fuck. <laughs> Amazing what HD can do. Am I right? Yeah, well, yeah, you let me borrow your Blu-ray for this one. So, yeah, I saw it, saw it clear as day. What in the world? What kind of a decision? Ridiculous, right? What kind of a decision is that? Well, it's better than the original decision of the first screenwriter who wanted to make Dr. Noah monkey. So I'll take the yellow-faced Canadian over the fucking monkey. <laughs> then, then again, I mean... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, is, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I can't believe I've never noticed. I mean, that I feel fucking terrible that I noticed just now. I've seen this movie like 15 times. And yeah, now I'm like, my, oh, this shit, is my this not... is my second time seeing it. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Jo- yeah, there Joseph Wiseman. Um that is definitely, you know, like you said, it's a little bit of a mark on the film. Kind of there's the producers fucking up a bit there. I'm fairly certain it's not the last racist moment in in the bond franchise well obviously you know sean connery becomes japanese but uh other than that yeah, they just they just put like a wig on him yeah like full cut wig a little bit of eyeshadow and a kimono <laughs> and you've got yeah. a japanese sean connery <laughs> nope god just saying it out loud i can't fucking believe that happened <laughs> yeah it's 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 ridiculous yeah <laughs> But as uncomfortable as Dr. No looks now, he set, he set the standard for 
a incredible legacy of Bond villains. And some of the best villains in movie history came out of the Bond franchise. You know, just in the Connery era, you've got Rosa Klebb and, and Donald Grant from Russia with Love. You've got Oric Goldfinger and Oddjob. You've got Largo. You've got Ernst Stavro Blofeld, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid, Irma Bunt, Dr. Kananga. Like it's just Francisco Scaramanga. It never, it never ends. You've got actors like Christopher Lee and Robert Carlyle and Mads Mikkelsen, Javier Bardem, uh, Sean Bean, uh, Joe Don Baker, Robert Davi. Like some great character actors really sink their teeth into a Bond villain role. And it is mm, great. I can't wait to see Rami Malek do it. It's uh, it's looking yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh, rattled off a lot of names, and I love that. I uh, that that many cool, cool dudes have been like, hey, I want to do this. You know, I want to, I want to tackle it. It's, it's something to go after. For me, I've always looked at Javier Bardem. He's just that kind of ghostly look that he has. Oh man, uh, I am a sucker for that. That performance is something else. <laughs> Silva was was killer. He was a great bad guy for the Bond era. He was like Bond's Joker almost. Like it was a great Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very very unhinged and just just frightening with without without having to say much. Yeah. One of my all-time favorites is Christopher Lee's Francis, Francisco Scaramanga from The Man with the Golden Gun. Christopher Lee is just Yeah, just a legend. Yeah, god. I didn't really when you just kind of lay it out like that, the these are some huge character actors. Yeah, man. Awesome. He was, he's got one of my favorite villain lines in the franchise. Cause there's the whole point of that movie is Scaramanga wants to kill James Bond because Scaramanga yeah. believes himself to be the greatest assassin on the planet. So he needs to kill Bond to prove that to himself. So he traps Bond on his Island and has a duel with Bond. Bond has his Walter. Scaramanga has his golden gun handmade with only one bullet. And <laughs> Bond tells him, like, you know, do you want more bullets? My, you know, my Walter against yours. Do you want more bullets? Like, you just have the one. And Scaramanga goes, I only need one and walks away. I mean, later on, of course, he lost, but still, that, like, the epicness of that line always stuck with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even, the, yeah, even if you, you lose, that's such a cool line. That, that confidence is, is awesome. Fucking Christopher Walken played a Bond villain. Max Zorin, yeah. you to a kill. And he is the best part of that movie. <laughs> oh, for sure. And the, the villain really, really does steal the show. These, these movies, they'll come in and just fucking, you know, go at, go at the Bond character, go at this, you know, oh, you, you this pretty boy, you know, I'm, I'm going to come at you, you know, and I, I love that kind of, you know, rivalry with all of these different villains. But um, Connery is, <laughs> I, I, I don't believe he can ever lose. <laughs> true, true. He's he's never I never feel like he's threatened. This guy is too goddamn strong, too tall, too good looking. I never I never feel like there's times where Daniel the Daniel Craig ones, you're like, this guy's fucked. This guy's truly, <laughs> truly fucked. Mads Mickelson really messes with him, you know? <laughs> yeah, Le Schiefer is one of my one of my top five favorites of the franchise. Just cold yeah. and flooded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, keen on the the Craig one. So Bardem and Mickelson kind of take it away for me. I, I think they both are are wonderful. Have you? So you haven't seen? You only live twice. Majesty's Secret Service or Diamonds Are Forever? 
Yeah, I've never seen any of those. So Christoph Waltz is your only look into Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Correct. Yeah, correct. Very interesting to have that be your only Blofeld. See, I saw Christoph, Christoph Waltz kind of takes over a lot of villainous roles for me. I just imagine him. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But to see that, like, knowing the legacy behind it, knowing Donald Pleasance, Telly Savalas, and Charles Gray's take on this character, Christoph Waltz, I felt, was a little bit more comic booky, egomaniacal than those guys. Mm-hmm. But I did like his performance. I wish they hadn't made him like Bond's stepbrother or something. I thought, that yeah, was- yeah, weird turn. But, uh, I'm excited to see what they do with Blofeld in the next movie. Uh, yeah, Waltz will be the only guy to play him twice. <laughs> that's 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 pretty special. It shows a lot of respect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Jack Lord would be the first actor to play Bond's CIA friend Felix Leiter, a recurring character throughout the franchise. Lord would later be known for his role as Steve McGarrett on the long-running cop drama Hawaii Five O. He appeared in a lot of TV bit parts over the years before his death in 98 at age 77 from congestive heart failure. And Jack Lord was recast in the next Bond film that Leiter appeared in. I think it was Goldfinger because they thought Jack Lord might be a little bit more handsome than Sean Connery. And they couldn't have anybody upstaging James Bond in the looks department. (laughs) That's hilarious. I love it. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of an un like, un like, He's not a really significant character in Dr. No. He's just kind of there. That's mostly because Leiter's not in the book. They kind of just put him in here. And uh, if I had to pick, like, over the course of the franchise, I think my, like, Jeffrey Wright does a great job as Leiter. But I think my favorite Leiter story is def- is probably License to Kill because he's, like, that's his most significant role in any of these stories. Yeah. He gets fucked up royally, and that—that's why Bond's out for revenge because these guys like tried to kill Lighter, and it was a whole thing. But, Fuck uh, yeah, <laughs> killer. There's been different actors the whole time. I can't name any of them because they're all like '70s guys who've never really did anything else. <laughs> TV people, yeah. He didn't pop in at all in the Brosnan era. There's no Lighter in the Brosnan era, uh, mostly because you know. We're supposed to think over you know, from Connery to at least Brosnan, maybe not Craig, but Connery to Brosnan, we're supposed to think this is the same guy on all these adventures. It's the same Bond. So in this universe, Leiter is missing his legs and is probably retired. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Cool. Uh, Bernard Lee became the first actor to portray M, head of the 00 section and Bond's boss. Lee would play M in 11 Bond movies before his death in 1981 at age 73 from stomach cancer. And he died while he was prepping his performance in the next role. He was not going to stop. Bernard Lee loved playing M. <laughs> God, man, that's incredible. I didn't know it was that many. As much, yeah, as much as I love Ray Fiennes and Judy Dench, Bernard Lee is my M. He's my favorite M. I think he's the perfect upper crust British boss. Like just, yeah, I love him. And his dedication to Bond is perfect. Like you get that whole mutual respect thing between him and Connery and then more. It's yeah. I love, yeah. Bernard Lee is one of the unsung heroes of this franchise. Fuck. Yeah. What a call. I love that shout out. Uh, Extremely important to get that casting, right? Yes. Straight up. Speaking of casting, Lois Maxwell became the first actress to portray Miss Moneypenny. M's secretary and constant source of flirtation for Bond. Maxwell would play Moneypenny in 14 films 
before being replaced by Caroline Bliss during the Dalton era. She passed away in 2007 at age 80 from bowel cancer. But um, yeah, Lois Maxwell stayed there like through the Moore era. And uh, that's, that's pretty admirable. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, you go through two full decades. And Naomi Harris is definitely the, char- like, the actress who got to play the most well-developed Money Penny in terms of character. Uh, Caroline Blitz and Samantha Bond, I thought both didn't really add much to the character beyond just, you know, in love with Bond and throwing out flirtations. Whereas <laughs> Lois Maxwell did that too, but you always got this idea that like Bond respected her too much to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And uh, we don't meet Q till From Russia With Love. He didn't pop in in Doctor No. So Desmond Llewellyn would be in From Russia With Love and then would do it all the way to The World Is Not Enough. Incredible. And he was going to keep going, but he died in a car accident. And uh, which is kind of crazy. And they prepped John Cleese to be his replacement. And I wish, I wish so much we'd gotten to see more John Cleese's cue. He was so good in Die Another Day. I wish he'd gotten to stay on and do more. Oh, man. Um, Anthony Dawson plays the dubious Professor Dent, Dr. Knows Lackey, who keeps failing to kill Bond. Dawson would later portray the body and voice of Spectre Mastermind Ernst Stavro Blofeld in From Russia with Love and Thunderball before Donald Pleasance would portray him in his entirety in You Only Live Twice. Dawson died in 92 at age 75 from an undisclosed form of cancer. But I think it's cool that this guy played the body of Blofeld in two more movies. Like, they had a plan. That's really cool. Like, they hint at, you know, they talk about Spectre in this one. You meet Blofeld's body in part two. The whole reason for Marshall Love happens is because they want revenge for Bond taking out Dr. No. It is a full-on franchise. I love yes. that. Quickly. Very quickly. Like, a, you know, there's a year gap between these movies from 62 to 65. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's fucking kick-ass. And this guy is such a slimy, smarmy little shit. Professor Dent. Just, ugh, I don't like him at all. <laughs> no, little bastard. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, finally, John Kitzmiller plays one of Bond's earliest allies, Quarrel the Fisherman. Kitzmiller worked on a lot of Italian movies in his career and was the first black person to win a Best Acting Award at Cannes for the 1956 movie Valley of Peace. Hell yeah. That's, I thought that was a really cool uh, little tidbit. Hell yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I see he died really young. Yeah, 51 from cirrhosis of the liver. Guy was a heavy drinker. Yeah, God damn. I know. Ursula Andres is the only person left from this film. Yeah, and she's in her, I think, 90s now, so it's probably going to happen soon. That's crazy, man. Unbelievable. Dr. No has an IMDb score of 7.2, Rotten Tomatoes score of 95%. It was a huge hit, grossing nearly $60 million on a budget of only $1 million. Sparked a franchise fire that's been burning for nearly 60 years, turned Sean Connery into a star, and elevated the spy movie subgenre to new heights it could only dream of. And here we are, still talking about this film, you know, nearly 60 years later. <laughs> god damn man that's crazy so let's talk about it dr no uh so this film is set mostly in jamaica which is where ian fleming wrote a good chunk of the bond films at his home GoldenEye, which is now a uh resort and writing like writing room for uh aspiring writers i would love to go and write something at GoldenEye. <laughs> that'd be that'd be amazing oh my gosh yeah it's, it would be surreal but um <laughs> 
What do you think of the Jamaican atmosphere and the music and how this film kind of establishes Jamaica? Um, you know, uh, culturally, I think it's, it takes its shots and I think it's fine in some parts and other times it totally misses. But what I do love about the use of the locations is the actual, you know, meat of the movie when uh, they have to use the water. Uh, to you know go underwater and um while people are looking for them with guns and dogs you know and slowly you know drift through the water and get this canoe those things using the location of jamaica i think that's a big part of why this movie is so exciting and why it moves so well and when you have him in a car chase in jamaica with him just kind of you know looking awesome right behind the wheel and jamaica's behind him it looks beautiful but as far as as far as like really using the the country within the within the plot, I don't think it's you know super essential. But I think they use the locations extremely well. True. One of the best things about the Bond franchise is how you know global it is. Bond goes yes. to so many different locations in those twenty five movies, and Jamaica is a freaking flyer. He's going back to Jamaica, no time to die. <laughs> um. One thing I would lo- I really want to talk about is the iconic theme uh, developed by John Barry, the Bond theme. We all know what it is. And um, right away. Yeah, it's I think it sets the tone for a for an exciting thriller. And uh, John Barry would score almost all the Bond movies. Uh, Dr. No, I think all the way up to A View to a Kill. And uh, he was just such a rock star. He gave each Bond film that he did its own unique sound and flavor but still had that, you know, ongoing connector of the Bond theme. And I mean, that's just epic. <laughs> it's extremely epic. You know, music is huge for you and I in films, you know, on, on Oscar Sunday, we have a whole award dedicated to the music within the film we choose. And for them to start off so strong with that and for it to not falter is, is remarkable is like cinematic, you know, greatness deserves deserves awards just for for it being so strong for nearly 60 years this music this music is it hasn't skipped a beat i still get amped when i hear it it's one it's one of the it's one of the coolest ways to know you can be in the kitchen doing something and when that comes on oh you know exactly what's on the screen you know and and you just want to sit down and watch it it has this intoxicating um vibration to it i i just uh god i love that theme <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's also it's also really funny in times to play it maybe when you're in the car like on the way to work dun, dun, you know you're trying to get there on time and I, I i love that i love that that's been a part of it the whole time it's kind of just the staple love that yeah i mean in most of the bond films the first thing you hear is the bond theme you know you get yeah. the circles across the screen you see bond walking in the gun barrel he turns and shoots blood drips that's the beginning of all 25 movies (laughs) that is well except for the craig era they a few of those they put it at the end of the movie but still it's uh it's it's in all of the movies and it's like you are in for a james bond adventure like it's a signature of like this is not an action movie this is a james bond movie (laughs) yes exactly exactly you you didn't just come to see um yeah some you know garbage crime movie or some you know, boring, B-grade, this or that. Yeah, you, you came to see Bond. 
it's a special, it's an event each time. I love that. Hell yeah, man. So are there any significant like moments or like little things you want to bring up in Dr. No that like stood out to you? Uh, well, like I said, I, I do, I really do. I get wicked excited in those moments of, of Connery leading the way through the weight, literally wading through the water. And then at times going underwater to avoid uh, fucking being shot. Uh, but I did want to bring up how much of a, a, a bitch Dr. No is how he goes out. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Anticlimactic. I didn't remember it that way. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, he's this, you know, the inch, the buildup to Dr. No is pretty, you know, substantial. I mean, we open with these, you know, these people in Jamaica assassinating British officers just so they can get their hands on his file. Like this guy yeah. means something. This guy's significant. And then we meet him and he's got like, you know, cl- like robotic claws from fucking around with radiation. He's, I mean, he's, it is very, it, just, it made me think so much of Dr. Evil and his oh. whole, like, you know, his son being like, what are you feeding him? Why don't you just shoot him? <laughs> like that whole thing. Exactly. <laughs> so good. Nobody like inhabits that trope like Dr. No. It came from him because he is just sitting down to dinner with James Bond and explaining his whole fucking plan and telling him about this organization of terrorists that Bond knew nothing about. Dr. No is just spilling the beans on the most secretive organization in the world just for fucking dinner conversation. Yeah, why'd you spill your beans, Winslow? Oh my god. God. Fucking A. It's it's ridiculous. And I do like that we have this kind of thread of specter throughout the the Connery era. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's It's a brilliant touch because you're always wondering oh, there's something larger. Yeah. Special executive. Oh, God damn. I always fuck this up. I always try to do this off the top of my head, and I never, I always mess up the, ah, God damn it. I'm going to Google it. <laughs> Spectra. Okay. Special. Spe- special executive for counterintelligence, terrorism, revenge, and extortion. There we go. That's Spectre. All right. <laughs> and they're kind of the bad guys behind the scenes of all the Connery ones except Goldfinger. And uh, but I don't know. Goldfinger was, you know, he's a he was rich. He was a power player. I think he might have been a Spectre agent. Oh, very, very, very possible. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we get to see Bond kind of dismantle that organization, and then we never see them again until the Craig era, where they got to bring them back. But uh, we do kind of see Blofeld again in the Roger Moore era. For your eyes only opens with a Blofeld lookalike controlling. Ah helicopter to kill bond he's bald he's got a cat but they never call him blofeld because legally they couldn't because they didn't have the rights to the character at the time but uh god damn i know it's it's a mess <laughs> truly it's amazing if you don't do the research you just like ah whatever you know we'll buff out those scratches later have you ever played the game goldeneye rogue agent no i i'm not a big um Video game, uh, pretty basic when it comes to video games. But is it a good game? It's a PS2 game from like the early 2000s where you play an MI6 agent who fucked up and got James Bond killed. Whoa. You're, you're kicked out of MI6. You are then recruited by Oric Goldfinger to help him take down Dr. No. That's <laughs> fucking, that's kind of cool. It is bitching because 
Skyramanga is in it. Christopher Lee voices him. Oh. And uh, there's random appearances from Bond villains and Bond supporting characters. And it's the most fucking cool fan surface video game I've ever played. That's so kick ass. It's really cool. <laughs> God damn. I love that. I love that idea. Bond just not being there. And- yeah, because you fucked up and you got him killed on a mission. Yeah, and you got you got to pick up the pieces. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that Good was shit. a fun game. Yeah, that gotta, that would that's a film right there. That's a fucking film. I mean, they can't do it because you've got to have Bond to keep the thing going. But well, what if haven't isn't Bond maybe going to be a woman? Have I, is that right? Is that that's something I've read? Is that actually true? They've talked about it, but no, I don't think they will. They um, there is an actress in the new one who's playing a female 007. But the girl, uh, the, the the girl from Captain Marvel. What's her name? Um. Something Lynch, I think. Lashana Lynch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's playing the new 007, but the character of James Bond, I think, will always be a man. Okay, okay, so she's interesting, interesting. Because Bond's, you you know, retired, so there's a new 00. So she's going to... So do you think Lashana Lynch could be the lead of one of the films? Not a chance in hell. No. (laughs) So you you think another man will come along and be... The new James Bond, uh, if he's, what if he's retired, though? What's going on there? Well, I think they're going to do what they did when you know Craig took over from Brosnan, a soft reboot. I think that's what they'll do. When the new oh, yeah, yeah. Comes. No, I know Daniel Craig is retiring. I thought you were saying James Bond within the franchise is retiring. I was like, how does that make sense? Well, in, all right, so in No Time to Die, since it's Craig's final film, the vibe I yes. got from the preview is that Bond ran away with uh, Leia Seydoux and okay. has been yes. kind of you know, fucking around in the Bahamas. And then somebody comes to get him. He's like, Hey, Blofeld wants to talk to you. We need you back. He comes back and the 007 position in MI6 has been taken by LaShawna Lynch. She's the new 007. And Bond is just some guy who's like a consultant now. And then he gets drawn into the mission. So it's James Bond and 007. That's the vibe I'm getting from the preview. Again, I don't, I, okay. I don't know because the movie's not. Uh, okay, that, make, that makes that makes a lot more sense. And then, and so then, once Craig is done, they will find they'll find a new guy, Idris Elba, <clears throat> and then uh, <laughs> Tom Hardy, and then they'll and then they'll move and then they'll move along. And um, but but Lashana Lynch could still be 007 within that. I don't think they would. I think that. This is, I think the Craig era is going to be pretty self-contained, I think, because we, we, we can't do that anymore where we can just do a sequel with a new lead actor and expect everybody to just say, oh, that's the same character. We could do that in the 60s. I don't think we can do that anymore, not with a lot of angry, confused people. So yeah. I think what they got to do is a soft reboot, new cast, start from scratch, James Bond. I would love James Bond back in the 60s, but like made now. Like Tom Hardy is, you know, 60s Bond. I would do something like that. Whoa, that's a wow. That would be like started over essentially. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's what God, I would do. That, that would be very cool. If you could get, <laughs> if you could get Paul Thomas Anderson to direct a like 1960s set piece Bond film. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That the would name, be yeah. that would be a dream. That would be a dream. I would love to see in a few years. I don't think now. I think he's too young. But in ten years, Robert Pattinson would be an amazing Bond, and you have Christopher Nolan direct because you know he's been wanting to do that for years. 
and you have a Bond film that will change the world. <laughs> well, yeah, they could be like, hey, let's just do Tenet, but actually do it again. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Tenet without the time travel, you got James Bond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's a great call. Robert Pattinson can, can clearly do kind of anything in front of the camera, but uh, that's, um, that's such an interesting one. I, I would just, I've always thought that they should, uh, enough white guys have gotten it. I think they should change the entire ethnicity of the character. Uh, like you said, keep him British. Uh, that's what you got to do for Bond. But I think changing the ethnicity would be really cool because it's been, it's been a white guy for a long time now. Well, you brought up, I don't remember what episode this was or what the context was, but I remember you bringing up Henry Golding. That, to me, would be the coolest choice. But what you said, you said earlier, you know, you, you got to put asses in seats. And from yeah, what but, I, I don't know, I don't know. But in 2006, nobody knew who the fuck Daniel Craig was. That's true. He was more of like an underground, like Road to Perdition. Have you seen that? Yeah. <laughs> and in 1962, nobody knew who the fuck Sean Connery was. So sometimes you need a franchise starter with somebody new to give them a chance and make them a star. And I think Henry Golding's already got some street cred with Crazy Rich Asians and The Gentleman. Yeah. So I think he could do it. He would be an interesting like left, left field choice. But I think right now the front runner is Tom Hardy. Yeah. See, to me, that's that's like the same guy that they've had for the past 60 years. It's like, let's get someone. I love Tom Hardy. Don't get me wrong. No, no. He'll, and he, I think he would do a wonderful job, but I could see him doing like three movies and being, being like, I'm out. Yeah. Um, I don't, and I, I don't know. I, I want to see someone get, like you're saying, we all know who Tom Hardy is. We know who that fucker is. <laughs> he's, he was, he was, he's already gotten his chances. If Bond has always been kind of a, jump starter for people i would love for golding to get that that would be really cool idris elba doesn't need a jump starter either so <laughs> i think you know i think batman's gonna be pattinson's you know big thing yeah so i think you know i don't think she'd be greedy batman and james bond let's slow down leave some you know leave some epicness for the rest of us <laughs> that's but, a, uh that's true yeah I wouldn't mind, like, I think Michael Fassbender would be an interesting choice to see him take on kind of a, maybe an older Bond. How about uh, Daniel Kaluuya? I keep forgetting he's British. <laughs> he's so fucking talented, I keep forgetting he's a Brit. I know. He would be I very know. interesting. I would be down for Daniel Kaluuya. Well, he's a, he's a guy who could really do it for, like, five or six movies. He's young. Yeah, and would probably be willing to do it, because that is a massive get for any oh, of it would, it would change his entire, yeah, his entire career it would change everything <laughs> that'd be interesting I, you know no time to die is going to come out next year it's going to be craig's last one for sure they're going to want to reboot it in maybe two three years yeah yeah bond is a franchise that doesn't stay around you know it doesn't go away for very long i think the biggest uh time between transfers was five years and that was between dalton and brosnan oh, wait, 89 to 90 that was six years my mistake but um yeah i'm sure it'll be somebody interesting maybe a newcomer will meet around that time who knows yeah yeah no it's it's it is a, such a fascinating thing because when it does happen you know that this guy's gonna be around for a little bit uh, or for the most part they are and and that's that's an exciting thing you know to to get a new a new bond a new guy at the helm for what seems to be uh for you know connery more and you know brosnan and craig like over a decade of work. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think Moore still holds the record for the most films, which is uh, Live and Let Die, 
Man with the Golden Gun, Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, Fury Reservoir, Octopussy, View to a Kill. Seven. Yeah, he's done seven. Seven. Yeah, he did seven. View to a Kill, he was in his like early 60s. It's fucking gross. <laughs> I, I, I stand by the idea that if a View to a Kill had been Timothy Dalton's first movie instead of Roger Moore's last movie, it would be very well received today. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's probably a good call. You take out 60-year-old Roger Moore... And it's a very interesting Bond film that's very dark and very weird and so 80s. But um, he's the only, he's, you know, the Bond girl is like 28. It's, oh. it's fucking gross. Oh. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that but a lot, you know, down the road. <laughs> yeah. When we get to the more ones. Yeah. Uh, so, Dr. No, back to that. Um, there's a couple scenes that I think are, are pretty dumb. Uh, for example, the whole thing with the photographer, uh, that whole thing seemed really kind of inconsequential and pointless. I mean, we never see her again. It's, it's kind of just filler, right? Yeah. in a movie that doesn't need to be padded. No, not at all. Not at all. You definitely could have just not had that. She's already not a very good actress, but then like when she cuts Coral's face with the light bulb and he has no scar for the rest of the movie, despite drawing a lot of blood. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> lazy was she, was she really just some freelance photographer was she with specter who the hell was she <laughs> who knows um i also think that the plan to kill james bond with a tarantula was incredibly stupid because tarantulas aren't aren't venomous <laughs> that like, scene that scene uh, I, I was kind of like okay how long is this I, I, I obviously I remember it, but I was like, "How long are we really going for here with this tarantula?" Because <laughs> the the music is is just too bloody intense for what's happening. It's like just fucking throw the spider on the ground. Come on, man. Also, this is a plan coming from a highly brilliant scientist, a nuclear scientist. You'd think he'd know a better way to kill somebody than a spider that doesn't bite. <laughs> Yeah, you'd think, yeah, some kind of poison. You could come up with some concoction to, to yeah, to kill him easily. No, no. Or why, you know, why wasn't the first plan Dent goes and shoots him in his cabana? <laughs> that should have been the first plan. No kidding. <laughs> I love, love that. that. Yeah, I was about to say, I love yeah. that bit. It, and it, it's 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 uh, something that is just genius in, in all kinds of movies, right? You got the guy in the chair. Even stuff as like like Mike Ehrmantraut does it in fucking Better Call Saul. It's still being used in television, this kind of stuff. And it's wonderful. It's like one of my favorite things in movies when a guy gets tricked, he's holding a gun, and it's like, no, nope, fuck you, turn around. I'm holding a gun on you now. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite action tropes of all time. That's a Smith & Wesson, and you've had your six. <laughs> <laughs> and then one in the back for good measure. Yeah, yeah, that's some cold-blooded shit. <laughs> it, hell yeah, it is. Oh, I love when we get those glimpses into the the like the real side, like Bond's real personality. Because I believe that you know the girls and the martinis and the you know the elaborate you know danger stunts. That's him compensating for a serious like emotional issue with death. I think yeah. he knows what he's supposed to do, and it kills him every single time. You, f- you can see it in his eyes. Like when he kills Dent, he's got this look of remorse that's just perfect. Like, I didn't want to, but I will if I have to. Yeah. You know, for country. It's like, oof. Yeah. 
James Bond, I could write a whole fucking dissertation on James Bond and just how he represents, you know, the, like the, the sword of England. It's just so it, ah, I've been thinking about this for a long time. <laughs> so cool. It, Bond, Bond is just this uber important character and he very much is a guy who stays in the line of this is business. I'm doing things I have to do because I'm good at them. Other people can't do them. Uh, it's like this, this, this is just how it is. Craig said it perfectly in Casino Royale. He has to be half monk, half hitman. Yes. Beautiful. God, what a movie. I know. Speaking of Casino Royale, uh, Ursula Andrews' iconic entrance in this film coming up from the beach. Craig did that exact thing in Casino Royale. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, only because there was a sandbar in his way and he couldn't swim over it, so he had to get up and walk. <laughs> it was an accidental awesome. homage. So great. Perfect. You know, there's magic in the air. Damn straight. Um, <laughs> so, um, I have a theory about Bond in regards to the uh, the radiation in this movie. Okay. So we see Bond swim around in quite a lot of irradiated water, and uh, they, you know, in full on hazmat suits. When Doctor knows people grab him in honey, they hose him off and you know scrub him down with you know water and make him not radiated i think swimming in that radiated water made james bond sterile and that's why he is so you know globe trotting on all these women in every film he doesn't care huh globe trotting what a great (laughs) Uh, what a great word for it that's that 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 is what it is yeah interesting i've definitely never thought that before how did that come up Literally this time I was watching it, I was like, that was, that was really nuclear and he fucked a lot of women. I think he's, I just think, you know, he knows he can't start a family. So he's like, fuck it. I'm going to live my way. That's fair. I, yeah, I believe it. And also another thing I didn't notice. Uh, so Bond takes down Dr. No's lair, his like nuclear program. But in doing that, Bond causes a giant nuclear meltdown in the middle of the Caribbean. <laughs> like he fucked up an entire ecosystem and probably killed a lot of people with that explosion. Yes. And that never comes up again. Like I, I, I didn't think about that until like this most recent viewing. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> That's what a dark way to end. Fuck. Yeah, I love when Dr. No just gets flipped into the boiling water and is just like, oh, shit. <laughs> this, this, is, this is just happening. He just sinks. He can't grab he can't grab the pole, and Bond's just like, bye, Felicia. And it's awesome. <laughs> Not the weirdest villain death in the Bond franchise by far. Not even close. Still not the weirdest, no. I think the winner is still Dr. Kananga and the shark pellet. <laughs> that was some goofy shit that is just ridiculous like that would ever happen to anybody <laughs> god damn it for those of you who haven't seen live and let die uh bond forces a shark pell uh shark like bullet thing into kananga's mouth it causes him to inflate and explode <laughs> it's true for- it's true folks look it up yeah it's bizarre very bizarre. Um, any other thoughts on Dr. No you'd like to talk, you'd like to bring up? Uh, for Dr. No, 
not necessarily. I, I do think it, I do think it is a good movie overall. I'd give it an eight. Yeah. But if you're, um, you know, not familiar with Bond and you don't know who you're getting into at all, uh, which I anticipate you would, if you're going back and watching this, it, it is, it's, it's got some rough stuff, you know, and you know, the stuff with a guy named Joseph Wiseman having, yeah, yellow face, you know, these things are not fun to, to revisit, but you know, and this, this comes with a lot of art, the, the great, but <laughs> there, there, there's some, there's some wonderful stuff happening. The sequences, the chases, Connery, holy shit. It's, it's worth, it's worth your time. I still do think that Dr. No is worth people's time. The, the weird thing is, despite this being the first Bond film, I would not use this film to introduce somebody to the James Bond franchise. No, 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 no. No, I, I'd, I'd still like, especially for people our age, if they haven't seen anything, I'd still probably, for, for me, maybe you have a different answer. I'd still start with Casino Royale just because it's more modern. Uh, you know, it, it, ha- it does age well <laughs> through the 14 years that it's been around. Uh, that's definitely the one I'd start with. What about you? I, I did start somebody on the Bond franchise, uh, my cousin Ryan, who did our theme music. And um, hell yes. I don't, I don't know what inspired me to start with this one, but the one I went with was Goldeneye. Interesting. Yeah, I don't really know why. It's a great movie, but Casino Royale makes more sense. But I don't know, maybe I just wanted him to see like the most fun the Bond could get, franchise could get without being silly. How, how old is he? He's, uh, he's 18 now. Yeah, so that, that's probably a good call. Yeah. Hmm. Weird. That was good. Old Goldeneye is an underrated movie. <laughs> yeah, that's um, definitely a fun one. Definitely going to be a fun one to talk about uh, on a full episode. Yes, indeed. So here's some film guys and facts for Dr. No. Number one, all of the sets and furniture were slightly smaller than they would be in reality so that Bond would look larger. That's so weird because he's like six. Sean Connery's like six yeah. two or something. He's already six two. He's not Tom Cruise. Like, there's no reason they had to do this. <laughs> Whatever. Number two, Sean Connery is morbidly afraid of spiders. The shot of the spider in his bed was done with a sheet of glass between him and the spider, which can actually be seen in one shot in the movie. When this didn't look realistic enough, additional close-up scenes were reshot with stuntman Bob Simmons. Simmons reported that the tarantula crawling over Bond was the scariest stunt he had ever performed. God damn. And Bob Simmons would actually play a Bond villain in Thunderball. At the beginning of the movie, uh, Bond fights the recently deceased, but not really, Spectre agent Colonel Jacques Bouvard. And uh, that's Bob Simmons. (laughs) God, man. That is hilarious. Cool. Uh, Number three. Author Ian Fleming wanted his cousin to play the role of Dr. No, and his cousin is Christopher Lee. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, how fucking crazy is that? Ian Fleming and Christopher Lee were related. <laughs> that's, some, that's some talent in the family. Yeah, goddamn. And number four, this is, this is weird. In the original novel, the scene in which Bond escapes imprisonment in Dr. No's lab was a little different. Dr. No had an obstacle course set up to challenge Bond. At the end of the obstacle course, there is a seaside cage with a giant squid in it. The, uh, the movie took all of this out. The obstacle course idea got lost in translation. 
And in the following scene, a sequence involving Honey Rider being tied to the ground and attacked by a swarm of crabs was scrapped because many of the crabs arrived frozen, dead, and damaged. In the movie, as, uh, as shown, water ended up being the threat instead. But there was supposed to be a whole crab attack, but all the crabs got shipped in dead. <laughs> That's so fucked up. God damn. I, too, give Dr. No an eight. It's not my favorite of Connery's Bond films, but it set the tone for an epic spy franchise and I think still holds up today as a pretty good watch. Yeah, yeah, it's still still very entertaining and, and worth your while, especially if you're a Bond fan. Hell yeah. So to close out this week's show, we're going to refocus on the man himself, Sir Sean Connery, talk about some of our favorite roles of his career and do our own top five of his career of like between two of us our top five favorites yes yeah and and of what we've seen right you know there's always going to be stuff we haven't seen of certain actors and he's got some bangers uh but from what from what we've seen we've gathered five and i I think we can come together put our brains together here and uh order them correctly right off the bat though uh neither of us have seen the name of the rose which i know is a big one for him and uh regrettably we were not able to get a hold of that one yeah but we did our best. So where do you want to start with Sean Connery? So I think the five we have selected would be his Oscar-winning performance from The Untouchables. Yes. His uh, performance from the Indiana Jones third installment, Last Crusade. Uh, the Rock. Yes. Um, the Hunt for Red October, which we both got to see. Uh, very recently, and then Doctor, uh, sorry, uh, Goldfinger. Yes, I think that's a solid five. Solid five. So, so, so Goldfinger is the one that represents the Bond, you know, his Bond stuff, and then we got four other ones that are that are much different and showcase a lot of his awesome talent. So, what off the bat is there one that for sure sits at five for you that you're like that, that for sure is the one on the, on the back end? Probably The Rock. I agree. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. The character of John Mason is basically it's James Bond in exile. It's a yeah. uh, it's a great. In fact, there's a whole fan theory that he is James Bond in this movie, straight yes. up. Which is why it's so awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Watching it with that mentality, this movie becomes like even better. But it, I watched exactly. this last night, and The Rock is a fucking masterpiece of goofy action cheese, and uh, it's fantastic. And Sean Connery does a great job seeing him and Nicolas Cage and Ed Harris go head to head. Is magic yeah. 90 <laughs> 90s magic yeah why don't you say we cut the chit chat a-hole just shit like that it's beautiful <laughs> yeah he's he, he's great now that's definitely the number five one i think yeah. uh like you said it's it's got some cheese to it but that movie if you are a fan of it you know what we're talking about it, it just kind of has a special place in your heart yes. love the rock uh i, I actually over time, Ed Harris in that movie just kind of blows me away. He he continually does that as I get older. I, I forget how many things he's in and how how damn consistently frightening and frustrating he is. <laughs> well, Fra- Francis X. Hummel is such a brilliantly written villain. He's he doesn't want you know he doesn't want to hurt anybody. He doesn't want to get anybody killed. All he wants is he has to scare the government into recognizing the. Um, the deaths of his of the soldiers under his command and giving them the proper reparations and 
that's a noble gesture. And even in the end, he's like, you know, he doesn't want to launch the missiles. He never intended to launch the missiles. It was a bluff. But his yeah. men went fucking crazy. And <sighs> I love Ed Harris in this movie. He, he's, a, he's a very noble character. But he just he goes about it the wrong, wrong, wrong way. Yes, exactly. But yeah, definitely. Like if I if we were making a top five Ed Harris, it would, that would be in mine. <laughs> and pro- probably me too. But he he is a guy that you just forget. You know, you look at his IMDb, you're like, whoa. Yeah, man. This guy this guy's done a lot of cool shit. Yeah, He's yeah. The, 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 the the Rock is awesome. It's definitely going to be a great film, guys. In episode one day. <laughs> oh hell yeah. Uh. In number four, I personally would put The Hunt for Red October. Ooh, this is tough. (laughs) Okay, so remaining would be The Hunt for Red October, Goldfinger, Untouchables, and Last Crusade. I already have a pretty firm idea of what my top five are going to be. Okay, so if, if that's number four, then I would say Goldfinger's three. Yeah. Okay, okay. I see where you're going. Then what's number two? Untouchables. Yes. Okay. I agree. I agree. I actually, yeah, I agree. I, uh, we're both huge Indiana Jones fans, and yeah. that that movie is is damn near flawless. Uh, the third installment, all three of them are really. Um, we don't count Crystal Skull around here. Uh, <laughs> uh, Untouchables is the Oscar win. He's he's wonderful. The Last Crusade, it it, it kind of has the full Connery, the gauntlet. It has the gauntlet of Connery's, the flair, the charisma, the you know all all the all these different things going on at once, and he's so fucking good. Before we go there, let's backtrack to Red October and talk a bit about that. Of course, of course, yeah, we got to go. We got to go through all of these because I, I I didn't realize uh, we kind of slot these in this easily. Um, <laughs> I, agree, do, I I agree with you. Red, Red October and then Goldfinger being right there. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about October. We just both got to see it for the first time. Yes, we did. We rented it because we felt we could not properly do an homage to Sean Connery without seeing this movie. This is considered yes. one of his masterpieces, and it is a great espionage thriller. And I fucking hate espionage thrillers, but this was so good. It's, yeah, I've prior to this, I'd only seen Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, which was fucking terrible. And uh, so I was kind of hesitant. Like, I never really looked into the Jack Ryan movies because I didn't really care. But it's it's not yeah it's not really for for me either uh, yeah, that like kind a, of stuff. He's like a bookish Jason Bourne who just kind of stumbles into shit. I don't really yeah. understand <laughs> the appeal of Jack Ryan, but Hunt for Red October is a really cool role for Sean Connery. You know, Captain Marco Ramius, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. It's new. Sorry, <laughs> but um, he's a you know a decorated Soviet submarine commander who sounds weirdly like he's from scotland and um, yeah we just yeah. kind of ignore that with sean connery like yeah he can play a russian sure why not fuck it <laughs> but he just randomly ups and leaves russia with an experimental submarine and we uh, the united states has no idea if he's trying to defect and come and help us by giving us a submarine that could destroy us or if he's heading to the u.s coast of launch weapons and start a war we don't know. And there's no way to know, but like until it's too late. So they have to kind of make a decision here. Like, do we kill, like, do we destroy that submarine or do we let this happen? It's so great. It's so tense. You, you, you don't know 
what the true intentions are until like the very end of the movie. And uh, I thought it was brilliant. I thought he was brilliant. I loved the incredible cast of this movie. Oh my gosh. Just like scene after scene. You're like, Whoa, Oh, who's that? I oh, had, there, oh, I know who that is. I had no idea how many people were in this. I was blown away. And um, it's directed by John McTiernan, who also did Die Hard and Predator. So, like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and it's just a... Yeah, no, it's it's great. You know, uh, Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, Sam Neill, James Earl Jones, Richard Jordan, Peter Firth, Tim Curry, Courtney B. Vance, Stellan Skarsgård, you know, just unbelievable. And <laughs> it, it really keeps you on your toes because of that. And the tempo is wonderful. Uh, it definitely deserves to be here. And that's one that I think, if I saw again... I could see rising. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's an epic movie. And it's just, uh, I think Sean Connery's performance is perfect. He plays this perfect blend of like, you like him, but you, you are pretty sure he's up to something. Like he's very dubious. And I love that. You can't tell what he's going to do. It's, it's great. The first time watching this movie is special because you are just so in the dark and you're just like, what's going to happen. It's great. I was really, I was not expecting to like this one as much as I did. I'm very glad it ended up being a, ma- a really good one. Yeah. One of those early, early nineties, just kind of must sees. Hell yeah. Absolutely. And now I want to check out Patriot games. I actually want to look into the Jack Ryan movies of, now. Of course. <laughs> Killer. So yeah. Hunt for October at number four, number three. And this is going to divide some fans. We, we put Goldfinger. Uh, yeah. Connery yeah, Gold- is. Go ahead, yeah, go, 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 go. yeah, you go ahead. You go ahead and talk about talk about why why Goldfinger is the one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Goldfinger is special for the Bond franchise. It's considered to be the one where the Bond fran- the Bond movies stopped becoming just action movies and became the James Bond movies. Yeah. And uh, Connery is very special in that one because it's the first time really where you see Bond in serious mortal peril, and you know with the laser to the dick. And it looks like it's going to happen. And he's having a very tough time convincing Goldfinger to turn off that laser. It's a great scene because it gets so close. And Goldfinger's like, you know, I don't need you. You got nothing to tell me. So fuck it. Bye. (laughs) He says that immortal line, you know, Bond asked him, do you expect me to talk? Goldfinger says famously, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. And it's a a great moment. There's so many great moments in Goldfinger. The music's great. Connery's bond is great going up against odd job in the, in the Fort Knox. It's just, it's, it's special. And it's his performance is bond in there. He finally had it right. There's no like missteps in his performance as bond. He knew exactly who this character was and how to play him. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. It's one of the few tens I gave to the bond franchise. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. There's only two. What's the other one? <laughs> Casino Royale. Of course. <laughs> yeah, Goldfinger. <laughs> yeah, Goldfinger's the one. I, I think that makes the most sense. Even a um, shout out to my good friend, Matt. I, I asked him, what is the, what's the Connery one? He was like, it's not my favorite, but it's got to be Goldfinger. He's like, that's the one where he's, he's, on his, he's on his P's and Q's. So shout out to my man, Matt, uh, who lives in Waco and is the second biggest Bond fan I know behind Connor. <laughs> right on. Uh, when I actually, uh, when I went to Jamaica, I, uh, we were staying with a family friend and he was a huge Bond fan and we would quiz each other back and forth to see like ah. who knows more. And I think like it was pretty matched up. Like he knew a lot and I was only like 
12, 13 years old at the time. <laughs> That's fantastic. Ah, those were the days. Um, yeah, number two, we have one of the best and I think underappreciated gangster movies ever made, The Untouchables, 1987, Brian De Palma. Uh, Sean Connery plays uh, police officer Jim Malone, who is walking the beat his whole life because he refuses to play ball with the mob. So they're keeping him at a place where they can manage him. And he becomes part of Elliot Ness's elite squad of untouchable cops to help take down Al Capone and his criminal regime in Chicago. Did I get that right? I think I did. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Take it away. Untouchables. This, yeah, this, this film is, is quite special. Like you said, I don't think it gets the, the respect that, you know, of course the other big, you know, gangster films get. I, I don't quite get that. Brian De Palma, I think is one of the, more gutsy and ballsy directors that we have to take on it a gangster film and it deserves a reevaluation. And I very much want to do it on Oscar Sunday and base it around Connery. Right. And, and maybe do some more films of him. Cause he, he just has this, this quality to do what he's doing in hunt for red October and then play fucking Malone, this cop and how, how he does that within a three year span makes no sense to me. The guy is, the guy's a rock star. And the next movie we have, is right in that window too, goddamn. <laughs> oh yeah. I yeah, there's no way as much as I love James Bond, he will always be Professor Henry Jones to me. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the true finale to the Indiana Jones trilogy. Yes. And a just masterpiece of movie making. It's such an entertaining film. It's uh Harrison Ford and Sean Connery have such perfect chemistry. You totally believe they're father and son. Yes. And uh, I love him because I love you get to see for the first like half hour of the movie, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones is talking about his father being this tyrant, this oppressive tyrant who just like never let him have fun, never talked to him, like didn't raise him. And then we meet Henry Jones and he's this kind of bumbling, goofy professor. It's like such an, like not at all what you expect from Indiana Jones's father. And yeah, there's a little bit of that sternness, but mostly he's just happy to be on an adventure with his son, you know, finally getting the Holy Grail and fighting the Nazis. He's just, you know, he's excited. He's happy and he's charming. And it's so great. And I, it's, it's the, it's the quintessential Sean Connery performance to me. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I, I know there's going to be folks out there. There's just stuff we haven't seen, you know, and uh, we both have, there's some that you've seen that I, I haven't, uh, you got to watch uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the Anderson tapes I love you know there's all kinds of, he's done all kinds of shit but for you and I it's it's uh, Indiana Jones is kind of one of those things that connects our souls <laughs> yes and and Connery is a huge huge part of that and for me is what I remember you know my first memories of him are, are is that 100% and it'll kind of always be that way I will never I'll never see him first as anything else. That might be silly, but that's just, that's, that's how it went for me. And it sounds like that's how it went for you. And that's why it's number one. Yeah, straight up. Indiana Jones was one of the first franchises I fell in love with as a kid. Back to the Future, the original Star Wars, and Indiana Jones. That was my shit. And Indiana Jones especially. Temple of Doom is the one I would watch a lot as a kid, which is weird because that's the darkest one. (laughs) But, um... Weirdly enough, the end of Raider, the end of uh, Last Crusade would scare me when Donovan drinks from the wrong cup and he like dissolves. I couldn't watch that scene as a child. 
but I could easily I watch. Totally, un- totally understand. It's funny, like that freaked me out, but I could easily watch Molaram rip a dude's heart out <laughs> and then just hold it. <laughs> Isn't I don't know. it? Yeah. Oh my god. Well, and and now we're so fucking desensitized that it's just so hard. It, it's just it's gotten it's gotten uh, beyond me at this point. <laughs> it's out of control. It's it's out of control. Straight up. <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I'm recommending movies to people and being like, eventually thinking like, oh shit, that's that's dark. They shouldn't. I gotta I gotta take that back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they're, they're gonna think differently of me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm having to like, you know, like with uh, with Julie, for instance, I'm helping her kind of develop some horror street cred and I'm recommending stuff. But at the back of my mind, I have to be like, don't scare her out of this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Nothing too wild at first, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, there you have it. That's our personal top five. Sean Connery at number five. We have The Rock. Number four, we have The Hunt for Red October. Number three, we have Goldfinger. Number two, The Untouchables. And number one, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. I apologize to you Highlander fans out there. Hey, sorry. Sorry about it, y'all. I can't can't do nothing about it. You know, the Anderson tapes is is one of my favorite heist movies that I've seen. And Christopher Walken is really the reason I, I adore that movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, um, I also would like to extend uh, an honorable mention to The Man Who Would Be King. Of course. Of course. Very interesting movie. Uh, one I haven't seen since high school, and I only saw about 45 minutes of it, so I can't count it, regrettably. But um, also Time Bandits, which is a cool little, it's a quick performance, but it's, it's really neat because when uh, Terry Gilliam was writing the script, the character of uh, Agamemnon was described as a Sean Connery-looking type, which is just fucking beautiful that he ended up saying yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's great. He's just been, you know, popping up in amazing films since 62. And uh, yeah, I'm sad to see him go, but I'm glad he he went out, you know, the way he did. Yes, indeed. Uh, a guy who, you know, played this character, hung out in the Bahamas and, you know, in locations like that. And there you go. He's hanging out and leaves Earth, um, hopefully peacefully. And his work, it's very, it's going to be very tough for his work to ever perish or leave leave our minds so we'll we'll always carry it on and i cannot wait to do more bond films so next time we'll do uh from russia with love i can't wait yes indeed so thanks for listening everyone i hope you enjoyed this homage to one of cinema's greatest superstars uh next week i am once again recording with josh allred as we go back into the world of vincent price What happens when a brilliant scientist accidentally splices his DNA with that of a common housefly? Two monsters are created, but only one is smart and strong enough to get what he wants. Tune in next week for the 1958 horror sci-fi cult classic, The Fly, starring the incomparable Vincent Price. And uh, you can check out Rashomon and Akira Kurosawa on Oscar Sunday this weekend. Until then, yeah, epic. Until then, why don't you go shake yourself a martini? Take the safety off your Walter PPK and save the world along the way.